Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Lil J Show, where we'll be recapping Duke and Carolina and looking forward to this weekend as Duke heads to Miami to face the Hurricanes. Hurricanes are three and three overall, one and one in the conference. Duke has dropped to four and three now, one and two in the conference, and both losses have come by six points in the conference. So Duke could be looking at a six and one, three and zero conference record, but it's the pains of a rebuild. You got to you have to learn how to win and. As you can see, the last two losses Duke's had has come with penalties in the crucial moments. Whether they've been good calls or not, that's just been the tell of the tape as Duke's had their chances but have had flags at the end of games and it's really hurt their chances to win. Yeah, um, I've, I think the call in overtime against Georgia Tech is worse than any call against Carolina. Um, you know, we even gave Mike Elko uh, a couple different exit ramps if he wanted to go off on the officiating after uh, the game against Carolina. And he didn't, um, which he was clearly upset about the call against Georgia Tech. And he was made it really clear that he was upset about the call against Georgia Tech when we followed up with him on the next Monday press conference. But again, you know, he, uh, he didn't, speak with the same fire that he did about the calls against Carolina. And he talked about them right after the game. Um, you know, they're tough calls, but I think, yeah, you, you've, you fit the nail on the head. This is a team that uh, I did their math on. They were eight and 25 the last three years against FBS teams. Um, the record in those games that were one score games, like decided by, seven or eight points or less was one in five. So you played basically six games in three years that have been close games. It's just, it's a, it's a team that has talent. Uh, They've, they've overachieved. I think you can still say that about this team, but they also, they just have, have lacked in some areas that experience would help. And, yeah, I just got finished talking about uh, BC, which was the relevant conversation for uh, a couple weeks from now when Duke goes up to BC. Um, but the only way to get experience is to is to get experience. Like, there's no substitute for it. Uh, you can rep it in practice as much as you want, but it's just different in the game. So we might have been kind of we we might have kind of gotten a, a red herring that that wouldn't be an issue because Duke played well in those moments against Northwestern in that uh, second game of the year, but now uh, it's it's three losses in the last four weeks and by a combined two touchdowns. Yeah, you're right. And while you've been talking about that, I was looking up because I was curious. Like, when's the last time Duke won a one-score game in conference play? because it's been a while, and right now, if my math serves me correct, it was in 2018. You have to go that far where Duke beat Miami 20-12 to on November 3rd. Daniel Jones had 130 passing yards. Deion Jackson had 113. That was the monsoon 
where it was a monsoon in Miami and Duke won. And the next week, Duke beat uh, North Carolina 42-35, and that was the Daniel Jones did it all, over 500 total <laughs> yards rushing – or total offensive yards. Because in 2019, as I said, I'm doing this live, so I want to make sure – like the wins that Duke had in conference were two-score games, like yeah. Tech 18, and uh, that was when Duke beat Virginia Tech 45-10. You talk about – a like hindsight 2020, you're three and one beating at Virginia Tech 45 10. You're thinking Duke might be really good, and they go five and seven. So that was a, a pump fake, if you will. So, yeah, it's been four years since Duke won a one score game in the ACC. This, this whole roster does not know how to win an ACC close game, and that's the growing pains of what we're seeing. You have a, you have a sophomore QB coming in and the key positions on defense, true freshmen are playing in the biggest moments. And then you can even say the best players on defense, grad transfers, and never played meaningful snaps, ACC snaps for Duke and Darius Joyner and Speedy Young. So it's just comes with growing pains. But the one thing I remember Elko saying post-game was talking about he's tired of people saying, like, this team doesn't have quit in them and they're going to fight. But to – Elko's, I mean, Elko is right, but also as a Duke fan myself, it's been a while since I've seen Duke football resist when everything goes wrong. I mean, it's it's intriguing, and I love the heart and the fight this team has, so it's rewarding. And so the fan base is like, wow, this team. And I know coaches and most fans do not like moral victories, but there's some moral victories that can be said with the locker room. You can just tell the team is tight behind closed doors because they yeah. are brothers. And it's not just on the field, it's off the field as well. So kudos to him and his staff for just having a resilient team. And Duke's going to need that as they face Miami this this week. Yeah, that's um I think as you as you try to ball all of this up into one season and kind of one takeaway, like one of the main things is Duke is ahead of schedule uh Mike Elko doesn't want to use the R word, but I will. It is a rebuild, and they're ahead of schedule in their rebuild. Um, it's just the the bitterness comes from they are so far ahead of schedule that they actually had a chance to win the Coastal. Like, the Coastal is not – like UNC is in the driver's seat of the Coastal and has the worst defense in the conference. Mm-hmm. their offense is going to give them a shot to win every game. Their defense is going to give them a chance to lose every game. So when you're, when you're looking at it, that, that type of team in the driver's seat to win your division uh, and you don't get it done by a three point loss at home, man, that's just that. that <laughs> there's no amount of moral victory that can soften that blow for you. And that's where that's where the frustration comes from of, you know, yeah, Mike Elko doesn't care that, you know, Duke shows that they're going to fight. That, that's great. But they know that they know that part of it. He wants to see them fight to win, uh, scratch and claw their way to a win. And that's look, it's year one. Uh, it's a roster full of guys that, as we've said, have not experienced wins in many of those situations so it's going to take time um you just kind of <laughs> you kind of 
stick these memories and these games in a in a file and put them in the back of your head. And when Duke uh, is maybe where they want to be in the next two or three years, then you can look back on it and say, hey, this is those growing pains paid off. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, what happened in Coco's first year. Duke was three and nine in Cucko's first year, but they had a lot of close losses and were in a lot of contests. That team just didn't know how to win, and it took Cutcliffe a couple years to finally get to – I think Vernon – yeah, it was Vernon's freshman year. He came, it was three and nine, and Vernon's senior year, they went to a bowl. But I think Elko is a little bit more ahead of schedule because the roster is better than what El- than what Cutcliffe had to deal with. Cutcliffe, like I've said to you plenty of times, if Sean Renfrey had this offensive line, Sean Renfrey would have been all ACC. <laughs> because Renfrey was just ahead of his time, but Brian Morgan was the center, and he was six one, a buck ninety five, going against all ACC defensive lines. <laughs> so, and the transfer portal was not really a thing back then either. So you can't just like fill a gap. And yeah, the st- staff has done that. They've done. Well, and the defense, I mean, it is what it is. It's inexperienced, and there's a lot of holes. But Elko and the defensive side of the ball, that staff has done enough to keep even the losses a one-score game. They've thrown wrinkles to make things work, and Drake made him throw a pick, and he had really good QBR. It was like a 95. But he had two huge fumbles because the first one, he was faked out. It was a delayed blitz, and he went to throw it and realized that Brandon Johnson was coming in front of his face, and he just tried to hold the ball back, and the ball fell out. Duke recovered, and the other was a strip sack. And so they, they're they doing the best they can with what they got, and at the end of the day, Duke fans need to be optimistic because, one, I'm optimistic Duke football fans, but, two, four and three with a chance to – win at Miami right now, whereas before the season started, everybody was chalking this as a loss because everybody thought the U was back, which we'll get into. But um, to go over the penalties and stuff, that last drive for Duke, man, sitting – first off, Wallace Wade, electric atmosphere, awesome. I mean, that was what Duke fans dream about. And it wasn't 60-40 UNC fans either. It was 60-40, maybe – 70-30 Duke fans, thanks to the student section, because the student section overflew and took up the whole section where the tunnel is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a cruel joke with third and two, get a first down with Jordan Waters. I think UNC might have had one timeout with 2.30 left, called for a legal motion. And then me being a Duke football fan, I'm so good at – I'm a pro at not celebrating – until I like survey the field and make sure there's no flags drawn. And that third and seven to Calhoun, I did not even look in the backfield after Riley threw it. I just looked to make sure that Calhoun was one going to catch it and wasn't going to be picked. And then I saw the ref put his hands up for a touchdown. I started just high-fiving stranger, strangers, my girlfriends, a UNC fan beside me. She's head in her lap. So I was on – she was on tilt and I was on all-time high. And then I hear – the voice saying the chop block and then me and her flip positions. She's standing up cheering. I have sitting down in my seat. I don't even watch the third down play because I know what's coming. I know that no matter what's going to happen, Duke's going to miss a field goal and UNC's going to go down and score the inevitable touchdown. And again, Duke had him for the missed calls that me and Duke fans thought there were or bad calls like the rough in the pass from Dwayne Carter. That was, I don't know what he's supposed to do there. But besides all that, besides 
all what just happened with the third downs and the missed field goal. Duke had UNC fourth down, and they could have stopped them. And downs got open underneath, and then that was basically ball game. And one thing, I know I'm ranting here, but another recap of the game is Duke did very well with designing blitzes, and they got to Drake May. But for the love of God, they cannot wrap up when they have a free run at a QB. They're not going to – the QB's not going to sit there and take the sack. He's going to take a step right or left, and it's like the free runner keeps forgetting that. And it's just – it's frustrating. That's where Drake May scrambled for a lot of yards and made big plays because he got outside the pocket. I think you also had, after the first couple times that he sidestepped, whether it was Brandon Johnson or Chandler Rivers, uh, those seemed to be the two main ones. I think Stinson was in there a time or two. Um, the next times that those guys were coming on free runs, they were a little hesitant because he'd already made a miss a time or two. Um, I'm sure the Drake May hype is nauseating, but <laughs> he is the best quarterback in the ACC Uh at least he's one of the three best. Maybe maybe hedge it with that. He's just a phenomenal quarterback. Um and he's six five, two twenty. Like that's that's the thing about the Dwayne Carter uh, roughing the passer call is, you know, what's Dwayne supposed to do differently? He's not I think Elko was really perturbed about that call. Um that was the one that he really kind of let loose on. And then he also said that he saw pass interference on the on that was it the second to last play where Jalen Calhoun gets tackled in the middle of the field. But yeah, Elko basically said like, what are we supposed to do that? Cause he's six, five, two twenty. It's not like we're playing. Um, I don't remember what his wording was, but you know, basically he's a grown ass man. You have to be able to tackle him. Like he's a grown ass man, not just try to arm tackle him. And if he squirts away from you, then, Oh, well, um, yeah, that was a good point about the Jalen Calhoun miss PI call because I, I totally went over – I totally uh, did not go over that. That was egregious. And I think why Elko was so calm and talking to you guys about penalties, he was so fatigued just yelling at the refs on the sideline the whole game. And you saw it. I was sitting behind the bench, so I saw it. But he was – I mean, he was red, red, red. And Trooper Taylor was too. And uh, there's a picture of Elko like – giving the ref like the business as was it Ron Cherry that said that Ron Cherry the, the legend and once the game was in doubt after the tip pass that was intercepted uh, it was just inevitable that Elko was going to walk to that referee and then walk to the referee on the field and right when he started walking on the field both of them put their flags up and he got his money's worth because it's just as a fan I don't want to always I don't want to blame officials but when that's Huge calls and big moments, it, it teeters the game. It's like MLB umpires. Uh, if you call a ball, and if it's 2-2 and you call a ball, it should have been a strike three look, now it's full count, and that hitter hits a home run, That that's on you. That changes the complexity of the game right there, and there are calls that change the game. I mean, the rough and the passer call would have been second or third and long. is automatic first down. They go down and score a touchdown. And so should have, would have, could have. It's kind of the life of a Duke fan right now, <laughs> besides like four years of my life. But as we're not going to hang our heads, uh, now it's on to Miami. Miami's coming off a 20 to 14 win at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is awful. 
Well, I'm just going to say that right now. They, the, their game against Virginia, I'm taking the under, and I'm going to sit back and relax with my feet up and then enjoy a six to three halftime score and a 12 to six Thursday night football primetime game. What's going to happen? And whether it's at UVA or Virginia Tech, they're bad. But Miami didn't cover, and I had Miami minus seven, and they're up 20 to nothing and don't cover seven points. Virginia Tech scores two late touchdowns in the fourth quarter to cover 20 to 14. Both Miami and Duke have one thing in common. They both lost to UNC by three points. So what does Duke need to do, Connor, to pull off an upset here at uh, Miami? What's your key to the game? Keys to the game. DJ Khaled. I got the keys, keys, keys. I really want to see the the – the strength on strength matchup that pops out to me is Duke's rushing game against Miami's run defense. Um, Miami's one of three teams in the conference uh, allowing less than a hundred yards rushing a game. I think they're at 98 point something. Duke is number two in the conference with 205.9 rushing yards per game. Uh, they lose Maurice McIntyre for the season and the first game that they play without him, they run for 297, a season high against Carolina. And like you can you can make all these qualifiers, you can make all the jokes you want about UNC's defense. It's it's still hard to run for 297 against a P5 team, uh, whether you're a P5 team or not. So, and whether that P5 team has the worst defense in the ACC or uh, whatever, um, so 297 is really impressive to me. So I want to see if Duke can continue to run the ball. Uh, one of the, re- you know, Riley Leonard is good throwing. Like we we know that that's a given. One of the reasons he's so good throwing is because Duke's running game uh, gets teams to creep down into the box. They're not going to let teams just chunk run them down the field, and that opens things up for Riley. So that part of the game has to has to continue to be the case as it was against Carolina uh, this week against Miami for Duke. Yeah, but you hit the nail right on the head there. Uh, my key to the game as well is Duke established the run game. Um, they Virginia Tech had 257 total yards against Miami, 78 rushing yards on 30 attempts. Miami's given up 97 yards on the ground a game, and Duke's going to have to establish the run. Maybe Jalen Coleman's back. Uh, Elko said after the Georgia Tech game, he thought he'd be back from North Carolina. But with, again, I've touched on this in the previous episode, but when you're running back, you have to feel basically 100% if you want to hit the holes right. And so maybe that week off helped him. And so maybe we that, get that along with the fact that, you know, with the off week after this week and with how good the Moors have been, not Jordan, but Jaquez and Terry in the backfield. I don't know if you need Jalen Coleman back right away. Like if you're still getting a healthy Jordan Waters out there, uh, he had, I think, 90-some yards against Carolina, maybe 12 or 13 carries, two touchdowns. If you're still getting him, if you're still getting what you've gotten out of Jaquez and Terry Moore, maybe you tell Jalen Coleman, all right, take another week, um, get back sometime during the off week and get up to speed and you'll have your your number one running back for that four-game stretch in November. With Duke playing in Miami, one thing that is important to note is revenge factor, revenge game for Duke's staff. You have Ishmael Aristide, Jess Simpson, and David Feely 
all coming back to Miami. It's all about the U. And one thing that uh, to go off that, I can't remember who came out with this for ESPN.com, but he wrote an article for first year head coach grades. He gave Coach Mike Elko an A minus and Mario Cristobal a D plus. So yeah. Duke, Duke staff with revenge factor with three former Hurricane assistant coaches at one point in time. I'm liking Coach Elko staff over Mario Cristobal's, and that's no shade to Donovan Ver Donovan Varner, the Duke great, who's assistant wide receivers coach for Miami. But sorry, Donovan, you're just in the way. Nothing personal. Yeah, we've talked on the on on this show before. Mike Galco wanted to nail the strength and conditioning hire almost more than he wanted to hire hire uh, nail the coordinator hires because it's that important of a position on a football staff. So, you know, that one uh, maybe sent some flowers to Mario Cristobal for not retaining David Feely. Yeah, Dave, uh, David Feely's been incredible. I I really hope and. They do won't say it in public or anything, but you know, behind closed doors, like this staff is like, Hey, we're going in here. We're going to kick their ass. We got, <laughs> I just know that's a point of emphasis. The way Elko has seemed to be as head coach with his pep talks and his motivation and stuff. I could just see that being a tactic and Duke's going to come in just ready to hit somebody. And with that being said, it's now officially closing time. Closing time. Connor already touched on it. Miami's a nine-point favorite. The over/under is fifty-eight. Duke is four and three against the spread, and they are four and three overall. Miami is one and five against the spread. It's Vegas cannot figure out Miami, and depending on what you look at, on um, whatever website right now, I'm on ESPN.com, and about eighty percent of the money is on Miami to cover. Minus nine, which doesn't make sense for me as a sports better myself because Duke was an eight-point underdog at Kansas, and Kansas is better than Miami by a landslide, especially with Jalen Daniels. So don't understand that. I'm so confident in it that I am now thinking, overthinking it. It's like, what am I missing? <laughs> but <laughs> I know we talked about the key of the game was Duke's rushing attack. Uh, one thing I should also bring up is Riley Leonard is just – the one knock on him so far in his young career, which is basically this season, is he struggled on the road so far. Like his Northwestern's fine, but Northwestern is not great. But at Kansas, took him a little bit to get going in the last drive. He had a couple errant, his only errant passes of the game. But then at Georgia Tech was his, obviously his worst outing of the year. But that's a lot of key factors there with losing. Maurice McIntyre with a broken kneecap is what Elko said on his uh, oh, yeah. radio show, which is just awful. And then you lose your number one target, Jalen Calhoun, early in the game with an upper chest or upper body injury is what he said. And the George Tech's defense is really good, by the way. I saw uh, pick six previews, the advanced analytics. They've mm -hmm. moved up the most in the ACC from it was 58 spots. So 63rd to 5th, I think it was, an adjusted defensive uh, rating. So that's a really good defense that Duke went against. And now Miami is no slouch either. Like Middle Tennessee State game happened, but their defensive front is very athletic and caused trouble in the, run, in the run game, as we've noted, and in the pass game. So as long as Duke wins the turnover battle, Duke has a chance in this. Yeah, I think so. Um the other thing to keep an eye on, just 
you know, this is not insider information or anything like that. It's just something I have in mind going in is uh, both linebackers, Shaka Hayward and Dorian Mausi, and then both safeties, Darius Joyner and Jalen Stinson. All four of them played every single snap against Carolina. If you go off pro football focuses, snap counts. Um, that's a lot of snaps. That's that's 76 snaps of being in a really intense, competitive back and forth game and being really stressed. Like it's it's not like you're uh you're a cornerback playing army and you might be tested on like 10 routes a game. That's a lot of stress to put on bodies. So I'm really curious to see how Duke's depth holds up. That's why I wrote about depth earlier in the week. Um and the defensive side of the ball is where Duke has kind of felt the injury pain with they've been without Anthony Nelson. Uh, they've been missing Trey Freeman and got him back. Uh, Speedy Young went down against Carolina and wasn't available. And that's why you had uh, Chandler Rivers all of a sudden was playing on the perimeter and matched up against Josh Downs. Tony Davis was out there. Um, yeah, man, it's. That's the one thing that I think might explain the spread a little bit. If there's insider information out there that Vegas has and the beat writers don't, that, you know, Duke is going to be without some of their key guys on defense that even we don't know about uh, as injury concerns yet, then it gets a little bit tougher to win this game. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and also, note this game is on Valley Sports, so – Hope you got your cocktails ready and start drinking when you start seeing some crazy camera angles and some mispronunciations on the broadcast, Duke fans, because it's going to be a long day starting at 1230. But <laughs> good news for me and all the other Duke fans that will be watching this game on television. It's next week. Duke plays primetime at Boston College at 7 p.m. Or not uh, in two weeks. Duke's going Duke's to have a bye. And in two weeks, they play at Boston College at 7 p.m. on ESPN2. So no Bally Sports to guarantee for the next two weeks, including the bye. Thank God. But that Virginia Tech game after that, that has Bally Sports written all over it. Because yeah. no team, it might go to ESPN Ocho with the way Virginia Tech's playing. <laughs> 